Annie McManus has spent the guts of three decades falling in love with music, chasing it down and presenting it to the world through her BBC One radio show, her interviews and legendary DJ sets across the planet. Well, on July 30th, she draws the curtains on that part of her life to start a new adventure as a writer. Her debut novel, Mother Mother, is truly something special. And the second you start reading it, you'll understand why the next chapter of her life is going to be as successful as the last. It's out everywhere this weekend, and it is my book recommendation of the week. We sat down to talk about it, the music, the writing, the forging of your own path, the art of interviewing and her heartbreaking Irish Times piece about being away from Ireland during the pandemic and lots more. To hear the full entire conversation in all its glory, you know what you need to do. You need to come to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad and that way you get access to the full interview and access to our fully searchable back catalogue of episodes you can't get anywhere else. All for the price of a cup of tea and a bun. <laughs> Dylan Moran, Lisa Hannigan, Sharon Horgan, Stuart Lee, Melda May, Subrav Geldof and hundreds, hundreds more for you to enjoy on patreon.com forward slash Abroad. No obligation. Cancel whatever you like. Come on over there and enjoy it. You are listening to the Irishman Abroad podcast with me, Jarlath Regan. My chosen charity partner is Jigsaw.ie, an incredible Irish charity doing amazing things to help young people in Ireland, equip them with the mental health skills they'll need to survive in life, never mind a pandemic. Maybe you've got a young person in your life who needs a bit of help. Pop over to Jigsaw.ie right now and you can get some advice or some way to help them. And maybe if you've got a couple of extra quid, you can help Jigsaw cope with the 400% jump they've seen in demand for their services across the last year. That's Jigsaw.ie, the chosen charity partner of an Irishman abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately... I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Regal! Annie McManus, thank you so much for doing The Irishman Abroad. I've wanted to have you on the show for so, so long, but I feel like we've got the best moment ever for this. That <laughs> <laughs> this, this place that you're at right now, and if we had recorded this when the show, when my series began in 2013, I mean, it just would have been so different. Correct me if I'm wrong, but turning 40 was the biggest blessing and the reason why we're having this discussion about this book today. 
Yeah, you're, you're definitely right there. Also, thank you for having me on. It's really nice to be on and to be chatting with you. So I didn't want to not say that. But yeah, turning 40 afforded me lots of things. It's kind of a cliche in a way, but I, I kind of looked backwards for the first time. There was a weird confluence of things happening around then, as well as turning 40, I was kind of coming out. I had my second baby when I was 38. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of coming out of the fog of a, a very sleepless, exhausting kind of year and a half, two year period. So I was getting sleep for the first time. So I was achieving clarity for the first time <laughs> and just had time to think a bit more and started looking back at my life as one seems to do at 40. You know, as these kind of m measures of time force you to do. And it had it, been a kind of very wild ride and, and a really fun ride. But I I'd kind of felt more than ever at that point. And I don't know why I felt this. But I did. I think I think we could go into the science of midlife crises if we want. But I just felt like I wanted to try something new and learn something new and, and kind of challenge myself in a way. And writing was always something I wanted to do. I've, I've kind of started about six different novels in my life, but never got past the third page because I'm really impulsive and, and kind of have a busy head and. Uh, there's always a million other things going on. So I really wanted to find something that could give me the discipline I needed to really, you know, just like write a body of work and, and see how it felt. So I took up a writing course and I turned 40 in July and the writing course started in September. So it was it was, it was quite quick and um, it was really, really rewarding. And then at the same time, I started a podcast as well. Um, I was very late to the podcast game, but I really wanted to try it. And I think that was also an urge to do something beyond the realms of, of of the kind of traditional music radio that I'd done for so long. And I was really excited by the kind of lawlessness of podcasting and in the long formness, the you know, space, yeah. radio so flipped and edited and produced. And I really like, I was really attracted to the idea of just long meandering conversations. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the uh, breakneck pace at which decisions get made by 40 year olds, right? The, uh, your life was absolutely ram jam packed with stuff. But there's something about, I feel like spreading the word about this, that people get so afraid of 40. But then for me, yeah. and I feel like for you too, oh, I just felt the sun rise. I just felt the yeah. the horizon clear a little bit because I was like, it was, <laughs> it's like finishing the leaving cert. There's yeah. a tiny bit of now what? I think people are going to be amazed when they pick up this book that this is your first book. Uh, and I'm relieved to hear that you tried a few times because I thought, how the feck? Uh, <laughs> how can you do this? With all those other plates spinning. Talk me through the writing course and what I'd imagine was a week to week realisation that I fucking love this and this yeah. means so much to me. Yeah, it was that. It was really that. It was kind of the idea of having over the last 15 years accumulated so many teams. Like there was a production team at radio. I had a big management team and I had an events team for the festivals and the events. and uh, th th I had a lot of people that I worked with and 
what what this was was me in a room with someone I didn't know who had no agenda uh, apart from to to teach and I felt like I was doing my leaving cert again it felt like that I felt so that cliche of the mature student you know like lapping it up you know (laughs) first one to stick their hand up in the class like that was me I I just wanted I, I it felt so good to learn and I realized that for a long time I had been kind of just just treading water you know like just just coasting a bit and and you know there was still loads of things happening and big things and and it felt like I was moving forwards but this felt so different And, and what was unique about it was how private it was you know it was just me and it felt like quite illicit it felt like my own little secret that I was doing this and um with two young kids, there wasn't a lot of time. So, you know, you have to really maximize the time that you have. So everything was very impulsive. And, um, but, but it was, it felt quite thrilling for that. And I had to go away for three weeks, write 5,000 words, come back, deliver them to my teacher, Susanna, and then she would critique them. And then over the course of the months of which there were six, it, you know, I started feeling like something was building and, and I could I could kind of start seeing uh, the, the very beginnings of, of, a, of a book or of a story and when I finished after six months I, I really wanted to kind of try and finish it off so that's it it, it basically just gave me the, the the discipline and I guess the confidence to think that maybe I could I could write a book and um, I'm so grateful that I did it looking back well like I could talk for two and a half hours about the uh, moments within that journey, the writing development, uh, the exposure of yourself to, mm. in each of those 5,000 words. And as much as you are presenting yourself and opening yourself up to criticism on air, it's a whole nother ball game when it's on paper. Yeah. Susanna, it's, let's maybe talk about Susanna a little bit because she she must be amazing. And to kind of like Sonia Sullivan's my running coach and she kind of puts a trail of breadcrumbs out for me to follow because yeah. it's a bit like Inception. The idea has to originate from within me. She can't put the idea in there with, with Susanna. What's she saying across those weeks? Because plenty of people, Annie, they balk at the fence. They they get into the writing course and they don't get to where you got to. Mm. She was constructively critical. She made me think in a very different way about writing. Um, she's a writer herself. She's a playwright. She's incredibly smart. And she gave me loads of kind of books to go and read and to be inspired by and she also gave me the confidence to feel like it was okay not to know where I was going in the story and just to allow the story to come out of me that was a really big part of it for me and crucially after the course finished she was interested in me on a personal level and wanted to kind of support the writing of the book. So we arranged a few more working sessions where she would read drafts and feedback. And what was interesting is in the course of all of it, like as I accumulated a proper team uh, in terms of having a book, like an agent and, and an editor, she was the one who I clung to the most in terms of needing her 
just kind of her her approval or, or, or some sort of feedback from her in terms of the writing because in all of this she is the one with no agenda and 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 you know just is is there for the for the pure passion really and weirdly I hadn't heard from her in a long time and I'd sent her the proof and there had been some changes and, and you know it had changed a lot since I'd kind of sp- she'd, she'd seen the last proof I think she'd probably read draft number eight and this the, the proof was draft number 13 so so she, she, a lot had changed and I hadn't heard from her in ages and, and I was like oh no god does she hate it like <laughs> And then I got an email from her on Friday, just gone for the first time in months, saying, I know this is the month your book is coming out and I wanted to wait until now to tell you everything I think. And she sent me this huge email with all of what she thought about the book and she picked out bits and lines and and it was so, I don't know, it just changed everything for me because I've been going through a, a real and this is interesting in itself, this process, a real kind of roller coaster of emotions about how I feel about it. Because as you said, it's incredibly personal. It's in, I, I'm making myself incredibly vulnerable. I'm making that very scary switch from being a kind of curator and a critique, uh, sorry, a critic, to being the person who is pushing their art out there. And, and that's quite scary. You know, you're kind of at the at the whim of the critics and there's people who will who will be like eye rolling. Who the who does she think she is writing a novel, all of that business. And it's kind of uh, I feel really deeply insecure about the book. And I don't think I'll ever feel otherwise. I, I It's very strange. Like I, I, I can't get a perspective on it. I can't get a measure on it, whether it's good or not. And maybe that's not what it's about. Maybe, you know, I'm really clinging on to the process of, of how, of doing it and how much I loved it. And if nothing else, that year of like frantically writing was the most life affirming, amazing experience. I'm going to hold on to that. So maybe I'm kind of going through this acceptance now, where it's like, okay, maybe I maybe I'll never know whether mm-hmm. it's good. Maybe I'll never really get a get a hold on it in that way. But yeah. her, her email on Friday was incredibly helpful, I have to say, and and made me feel so much more positive about the whole thing. Yeah, I think you've hit on it there. In that, I, I'm not sure that the question of is it good. Is, yeah. is the frame through which you'll ever understand this thing that you've done. And probably you're f- forcing that, that question because you've spent 20 years saying to people, hey, look at this. This is good. Yeah. Someone else did it. Uh, whereas those people with that music may never have thought that and loved the expression of uh, appreciation from you so much and so many people trusted your judgment but in so many ways being the creator then it's just the other side of the moon and it is (laughs) both of us are are in that bit i find myself way more comfortable going hey my my friend is very good at a thing rather than going hey guys I did a thing and I think it's yeah. so bad at that. Yeah. Uh, but yet yeah. it it feels like nowadays or if you were to be a creator now, without that ability, you're going to struggle 
that the 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 stage is so full of loud voices and social media presence that you know your ability to self promote is integral over the 20 years of watching other creators have you come into contact and are you now looking back through those years and identifying performers who maybe feel the same way as you're feeling right now? Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is when you interview people, when I interview people, my first instinct is to try and find the motivations for where this art came from. Why did you make this song? What compelled you to write the lyrics in this way? You know, uh, you know all of that. There's a lot of whys and wheres. And a lot of the time, and now I really understand it, the artist is saying, I don't know. It just arrived. And I just want the audience and the listeners to interpret it in whatever their way they want. And now I'm finding that there's a lot of questions on me. Understandably, I'll do the same thing myself on where this book came from and why. And I am not sure what the answer is. And I feel like I should have a big, clever answer. And I don't. So so there is there is kind of I, I'm, I'm seeing those parallels. And in terms of artists who over the years who I, I do look back and think, like, who are those artists that don't promote their work? you know, who don't have social media and still manage to succeed. And it, you're right, it's become totally normal now and expected for people to use their own platforms to shout about their work. And there is something deeply kind of uncomfortable about that. And you have to work hard about letting people know that you're doing things without it feeling like you're ramming it down people's necks and it's just a it's, it's just a lot of thin lines there and mm. it, it, it's kind of exhausting <laughs> it's kind yeah. of exhausting to be honest and, and and the other thing i find really interesting and i'm and i'm still learning about is the very unique thing in the book world of when you write your book you then have to send it to other authors to read and provide a quote on and this is the bit that I found really difficult because it's hard enough putting your book out there as you say it's very vulnerable you're in a position but then asking other people to read it and quote on it it's such an ask you know, it's ask. such a big ask <laughs> and, and it, it feels and it's so awkward because if they don't want to send a quote then clearly they don't like it and it's it's it, you're putting them in a position. Mm-hmm. You're soliciting yourself out to everyone, people you don't really know that well. You're asking so much of them. I, I don't know. I found that bit deeply uncomfortable. And then I, I, I've started to observe, like, uh, like that people in the book world are actually everyone's just really nice, <laughs> and they're really out there to to uplift each other and to help each other. So th- because they know that their books have to go out and be read and be quoted on they're they're open to doing it themselves mm. and so once i kind of realized that it was this kind of huge sigh of relief or like all oh, right people are they're really up for this and they're not going to say bad things they're only going to say nice things and 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 if they don't say something that's fine like it's okay um but there was definitely a kind of six month torturous period of having sent books out to people 
just waiting for responses and being like, oh my God, they hate it. And then you get a response after four months or something going, oh, still haven't managed to read it yet. You know, got a massive pile of books. And you'd be like, oh my God, I've literally been, you know, self-flagellating like about how awful this writing is and how everyone's laughing at it and just, just torture basically. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, once I started getting a few quotes back from people, it really just changed, changed a lot and, and kind of made me feel a lot more relieved and kind of optimistic about the whole thing. Uh, I mean, I, I hope that someday I can get to a place where I'm like, look, that's my thing. And if you like it, I don't care if you do. Great. Uh, I know, but isn't it? Maybe that like, Annie, this book is going to do so well that like I do picture that in the future that like I'd imagine that there is a part of you uh, that will stop caring as much uh, and that's only one through uh, the success of uh, of this book right yeah I I I felt like a fool for caring so much because I'm I I kind of like it's 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 new to me the idea of caring so much about what people think and I think part of that is because I was making myself vulnerable in this new way and I'd kind of put so much time into it it was like and I think I really I really wanted people to like it because I really wanted to keep doing it if you know what I mean so it was kind of I felt like there was a lot riding on it on what they thought because if this book is good enough to publish and and to do to do okay that means i'll be able to write another one and i think deep down that was what was kind of motivating all this self-torture was just the idea of knowing how much i wanted to keep doing it so let me ask you this then because you mentioned just there that the people in the book industry are so nice and it's funny that that should be a revelatory thing that like <laughs> we hear so much of uh, the music industry of the piranha fest and the the cutthroat uh, kill your granny to to get their act to where they need to get them They're, they, it's a cliche but y- y- when you become passionate about getting into it when you discover radio while at queen's university in belfast uh, were you at all scared off the music industry by what you had heard because back then it is a different place it is it is a much more uh, male dominated uh, sexist and abusive uh, environment that you were heading into mm. i didn't know so i kind of went into it completely blind i had a, a little bit of a head start in that when i moved to london i moved in with my brother and his band and they were signed to a couple of labels in the time that I was living with them. So I had a kind of an insight into the industry in terms of seeing how how certain things worked from that side, from the periphery, I guess. And then when I got into radio, I don't know, because I was kind of thrust into the, the, the kind of specialist music side of radio, where you just have all these mad eccentric characters. It wasn't really the typical side of the music industry, you know, the kind of sell, 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 commercialization of music. I was lucky enough where I was put, where it was very much a celebration of music in all of its odd and eccentric and brilliant ways. And our job was just to put it out there in in the purest form. So I never had to 
experience the idea of compromising or 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 kind of crushing like art to make it fit in a box and you know exploiting people or exploiting art in that way so it's funny because the radio industry especially the bbc my experiences of that are that it's a, a very lovely place to work where and, and it, all of the ethics are in the right place in terms of how it treats music and i've only really experienced the kind of industry side of it from from the outside looking in and when I'm talking about labels and major labels and how all that works. And then there's the DJ side, I guess, which happened around the same time as joining Radio 1 and getting my show. So I would have been around 26, 27 when I got into that. And and I think I'm, I'm very grateful now in hindsight for having had that time to be in Egypt and be drunk all the time and, you know, oh god just looking back at those years it was so crazy Uh, but I'm so glad that I had grown up a bit you know and I had a a bit more of a head on my shoulders by the time I was kind of thrust into the spotlight um, I was able to make more intelligent decisions I'd made a lot of my stupid choices and mistakes before then so I I was a bit more sensible and I guess a bit more wary of the sharks out there you know and able to kind of identify them and, and avoid them I mean, uh, burnout is something that comes up a lot on this show because a lot of the people that we have on just burn the candle at both ends and have been doing it for so long that they're essentially managing the edge of burnout at all times. Uh, We also have an Olympic marathon runner, uh, Sinead Diver, on the show who uh, came to running really late in life. Like she's in her 40s. And she's going to the Olympics. And yeah, uh, and she credits not having had all those years on her legs to the reason as to why she's running her best at this time. Is there something in that in terms of going the other way that you've come through this storm of clubbing, DJing, uh, on being on the radio, running the podcast? managing the family and that now if anything you've accumulated enough to be able to write does it feel like that at all am I way off here no it's a really nice way of looking at it actually I you know I've thought a lot about why I've started writing now and and what you know what changed what's the difference between now and you know coming out of an English literature degree in Queens like why wouldn't I have started writing then but then my eyes were just firmly blinkered on London music radio. I kind of I found my little path that I wanted to go down. And I always wrote for myself, but it never felt like I wanted to do any more. I didn't harbor any ambitions to do any more than that. I was kind of won over by loud noise, I guess, and kind of followed that. Was that it, and, though? Let me, let me just jump in there for a second. Like... Yeah. Uh, what had you fallen in love with at Queens? Like, was it that, like you've referred to, clubbing is classless? You've said it's a celebration, a communion of people on one dance floor, all experiencing the same thing. It, it, like, is it that the that moment of we're all in this together? Everything else is irrelevant. Yeah, it's 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 very much that. Uh, it, it was again. It was it was it was a combination of that and finding this community in Belfast that felt really important and really special um, of people who all kind of lived and breathed music. 
it was discovering Radio 1, which I'd never listened to before I went to Belfast and kind of finding this late night world that was so exciting. I felt like I was constantly on this journey of discovery and each song I would find would join the dots to a new song and a new label player and and the, the incredible way that you can discover music it was just this endless infinite uh path that, that i was just so eager to go down so it was that as well the kind of radio and then it was kind of it was just it was just really rudimentary it was like i know that i love music i know that i'm living and breathing it i know that i love socializing and chatting like honestly chatting, I'm, yeah. like, like, like i'm naturally gregarious love a party love a chat like standard irish fair and, and but like i was like how do i make this a thing how do i make so there you have it the beginnings of my conversation with annie mcmanus there is so much more from annie in the next half of this chat there's more than 30 minutes extra to hear from her the fun really gets going in the second half as we get into reminiscing about her time uh, as a DJ traveling the world at the BBC and everything that led to this, essentially, including an Alex Turner story about interviewing him, the art of interviewing, what she regards as the key components of making great interviews, uh, Zane Lowe, so much more over there. There's only one place to find it, patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. Come on over, join up, be part of that. You'll get three further episodes each week, including our fitness and wellness episode with Sonia O'Sullivan every Tuesday, our selection box, our arts and culture episode. Tom Dunn is back next Thursday for that. And of course, Marion McKeown, Irishman in America on a Friday. What more could you ask for? Patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. Brian Connolly is on production. John Marr did exquisite extra research for this episode and all our episodes. Tina and Mikey make it all possible, but you really do create the Irishman abroad. So if you can come over and start enjoying more and want to hear more, patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad is the place to do it. Stay safe and I will talk to you on Tuesday with Sonia Sullivan in Utah.